the upshot is that the machine in this case can actually do better job than uh, individual records manager can do. In terms of boots on the ground and, and practical projects that bring value to the agency today, I think it's definitely on the soft AI end. It's the machine learning end, which is very exciting, potential new capability for the agency. It shouldn't be viewed as some sort of scary thing that's going to get rid of people. Rather, it is, to my mind, it looks more like a bionic arm. This is going to help people execute tough, large jobs. You're listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast featuring interviews and stories, tapping into project experiences in order to unravel lessons learned, identify best practices, and discover novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. Artificial intelligence takes center stage today. A conversation is with Brian Thomas, the agency data scientist for NASA's Office of the Chief Information Officer. I work in the area of trying to provide strategic insight to senior leadership in the areas of data science, big data, and data analytics. I have a team of data scientists, and we take on data science challenges across the agency in order to better understand technology. But we also like to go around and talk to folks at the agency to understand their challenges and capabilities. Uh, and clearly, if there's someone out there in the agency who's already solved a challenge, we'd like to combine them with a challenge owner so that we can facilitate in this way um, better understanding of analytics and uh, better interagency communication. As you're addressing data science challenges and helping people solve problems across the agency, how does artificial intelligence fit in? Artificial intelligence, you can, generally speaking, think of it in two different ways. There's hard AI, which is kind of the classic sci-fi approach of, hey, we're going to have a machine that thinks for itself, is self-aware. Um, that's not what our team does. Uh, it's on the other end of things, or so-called soft AI, where there are a number of um, procedures, approaches, which allow one to uh, leverage the machine in new and novel ways uh, that essentially uh, boil down to uh, teaching the machine through data rather than sort of uh, a priori coming up with an algorithm or an approach. So machine learning is essentially soft AI. It's not all of soft AI, but it's definitely a large chunk of it. And machine learning is basically what I've, I've described. It's a set of algorithms that one can apply a training set to that allows you to train this uh, function approximator, if you will, to carry out and do work for you. Is NASA's use of artificial intelligence primarily on the soft side? Um, there probably are folks interested in hard AI at the agency, but in terms of boots on the ground and, and practical projects that bring value to the agency today, I think it's definitely on the soft AI end. It's the machine learning end, which is very exciting, potential new capability for the agency. What are some of the ways NASA is integrating AI into projects to help provide value? So there are a lot of projects. We could probably talk for hours in terms of the applications, but they span from science and our engineering areas through operations and down into our business units. And the, the value proposition here is, is that there are many problems where understanding the data, having a human or a, a team of humans sitting down and understanding the data discreetly, converting that into a heuristic or algorithm that then does what you want 
is impractical for because it, it would take too much time. Uh, the data have such complexity that it you know will take a very it'd be very difficult to get it done accurately. And so the resourcing that, that would be required prevents us from solving these problems. And so we have problems in this class where if we could create a training set that sort of describes the behavior we know needs to be encompassed by the algorithm, then we can actually now tackle that problem. So in the areas of engineering, I've heard of folks applying machine learning to understand aircraft wing flutter. Flutter is essentially when the wing will become unstable. Now, you could do discrete engineering to understand all the struts and, and the structure of the wing itself, but this becomes more and more a complex exercise, especially with modern material science uh, playing into things and, and engineering techniques, when one can essentially take a look at test data of how that particular design has behaved, one can actually then approach it from a machine learning standpoint in a much cheaper and perhaps even more accurate way than one would from doing the discrete uh, heuristic from the engineering first principles. In the business areas, our group uh, focuses here. Uh, another example is trying to understand records retention for senior leadership email. Uh, and it, it's not exactly obvious uh, what is exactly a record and what isn't. Uh, you know, sometimes it is, you know, hey, let's do lunch, that, that's not a record. But then there are other things where there may be a discussion between a vendor and a senior leader, and it may initially start out as sort of a, hey, why don't you look at my technology call, but may evolve into something more strategic and have value to the agency to retain that record. So our group basically used machine learning to classify records. We had records managers sit down with something like 10,000 of these emails uh, and then classify them. And it, it turns out that a human probably has an accuracy of about somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 to 95 percent. We were able to achieve a 95 percent accuracy by um, taking the combined or aggregate training set between several records managers and uh, applying a voting mechanism in order to reject ones that fell out. The upshot is that the machine in this case can actually do better job than uh, individual records manager can do. And furthermore, this task, if we had left it to a human, would have taken something like 23 human years uh, of work. And the, we clearly can't wait that long, nor do we, are we resourced uh, to do so. And the machine can actually, once it's trained, which takes a matter of you know, about 10 to 20 hours of effort for a team to do, it can then execute all of these records terabytes worth uh, in a matter of a few hours. So it's a huge savings for the agency. When you start talking about machines delivering this much improvement in accuracy, quality, and efficiency, is this cause for people to get a bit anxious about job security? I would like to say that, you know, even though we call it AI, even though it's something similar to the machine, it appears that the machine's thinking for itself. At the end of the day, it's essentially a function approximator that's approximating what a human would do, and it can encapsulate very complex behavior. I want to point out the, the one I talk with folks about applying machine learning to their various problems, it, it's not a panacea. If the trained data aren't there, if you don't have enough data, then you can't use it. And, and furthermore, it shouldn't be viewed as some sort of scary thing that's going to get rid of people. Rather, it is, to my mind, it looks more like a bionic arm. This is going to help people execute tough, large jobs that fall in this space. So 
it is definitely along the lines of an efficiencies is how I would look at it. Without the human to provide the trained data, the, the machine learning algorithm cannot go. These things, um, and, and an important aspect of them along these lines is that they're bespoke. That is that you can't just take any old algorithm off the shelf and expect it to work magic. You, you tend to cycle through a variety of possible machine learning approaches until you find the one that gives you the rest, best return on value. And, and again, you have to have a human that's providing these test data, a domain expert that you're trying to encapsulate their behavior. Um, the best systems, such as a tag, we have a machine learning based uh, document tagging system that we developed for our STI unit, is essentially something that works in tandem with people where it'll offer a probabilistic choice of uh, metadata tags that might apply to any one document, but a human records manager then would overview that and say, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, that looks great, um, put a check mark. And that feedback goes back into retraining the algorithm to make it that much more accurate in the future. Um, Sometimes a human records manager would say, no, I, I, this tag you suggested doesn't apply. And in fact, you're missing a tag that's a new tag that we previously haven't considered, but we want to include. And so working in tandem with the solution, you can not only improve the accuracy and the uh, efficiency, but it can, if you structure the, the interaction between the human and the machine algorithm correctly, uh, in many cases, it's a self-reinforcing uh, virtuous cycle where it gets better and better over time. As you're talking about training or retraining an algorithm, one thing that comes to mind is NASA speak, a lot of technical terms and acronyms and abbreviations. How do you work that into machine learning? Specifically, our group and our brethren group at Langley, data science group down there under Ed McClarney and Jeremy uh, Yeagle, have worked with uh, speech-to-text solutions. Those are machine learning-based solutions where you train it to recognize certain words, Certainly, um, you may ask the question, why can't we just take something off the shelf from, say, Google or Facebook, who have very elegant solutions? And the answer is, is twofold. Number one, oftentimes we're applying this to uh, data which are sensitive, and so we're, we cannot utilize an off-premise solution that a vendor might be supplying. So we have to bring our own, as it were. And secondly, um, Google's solution, while it's very good, it's, it doesn't recognize technical jargon, which I think we'll all appreciate working here at NASA, exists in abundance. And so many acronyms and many technical terms will be missed by an off-the-shelf solution. So it really requires working with domain experts and, and folks inside the agency to, to train up speech models that can then be applied. Um, and it, it, it can be applied to many things. I, I know our Langley... Um, our fellow Langley colleagues were working on um, outbriefs for uh, NASA personnel to sort of do knowledge retention. So that's a direct example to your ask there. What trends are you seeing in the field of machine learning or artificial intelligence that could provide more value to NASA? I guess I'll dial back to answer your question with a, a small story. But machine learning has been around since probably arguably the late 50s, certainly the idea of the perceptron is, I think, 1958. Uh, so the real question is, why haven't we used this earlier? This, these technologies have been around for a long time. Um, I myself, uh, when I was a contractor at Goddard, executed a project in the early 2000s uh, using neural nets, deep learning as we might now refer to it. And the answer is that previous to today, um, we haven't had the two important things that are necessary. That is the processing power. These things are very thirsty for computational power. And 
the appropriate data. Without these two things, the, the machine learning solution cannot function. Now, we are definitely in, a, in an area now with the, especially the advent of cloud computing at the agency, which uh, my group and others in the OCIO are working hard to, to bring to our frontline users, but uh, also the need for data. And so we need to be able to overcome uh, essentially uh, both technical and, and functional problems at the agency. So from a technical standpoint, missing uh, overarching platforms that across the agency and outside of mission boundaries provide access to necessary data and, and uh, metadata that help folks at the agency understand the data. Um, and a new program called the Information Management Program is seeking to at least in part tackle this problem. Um, but also functional problems in terms of just cultural issues. You know, we're, we're very mission driven here at the agency. It's one of our strengths. But one of the, I would guess, negative outcomes of being mission driven is that we, we create cylinders of excellence, um, both in terms of team excellence and, and data. It, it becomes for cultural reasons, um, even if we have the platforms in, in place, hard to get at the data. So we, we need to tackle both of these issues so that we have sufficient data that we can apply these uh, new class of uh, algorithms to, to solve problems for the agency and bring value. So th that is really where we're at today. It's that, you know, also, you know, from a programming standpoint, they're bringing, again, uh, vendor solutions into the NASA space is, is an important component, but it really is not the tall pole here. Um, it, it really is about how do we get folks access to the necessary uh, data that they can form up their training sets and apply these solutions. That's where the real challenge is today, in my opinion. How do you overcome that challenge? What are the first steps for a program or project? I will I tend to look at this as a data scientist. So the most important thing to do up front is to not identify any technical solution whatsoever. And for example, you don't know that you need machine learning. What you really need to do is identify the questions you want to answer. Uh, this is the, the most crucial first step. Having done that, then start examining uh, in tandem with somebody who is a domain expert and might understand the data sources well, you know, what are the data that actually have the information that might answer this question? And in what form are they? Or what form can we put them in under the resourcing we have? Sometimes that means working with a single data source that's a little messy. Sometimes it means merging or combining data sources. They all have various difficulties. Uh, these two things should take up a significant chunk of your upfront time. And then the actual production of the data set may then take up somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50% of your time. During the time that you're producing the data set, you can be identifying algorithms that you might try, and it may be that you can apply something that's not machine learning, you should do that. Um, if the heuristic is easy enough to understand and, and solves the question for you, that's exactly what you should do. You should deterministically program it uh, in whatever favorite paradigm and language you have at hand and solve the problem that way analytically. Or if that's not easy and the resourcing's out of scope, then machine learning is, might be a go-to for you. So a lot depends on the question you're answering and the type of data you have to hand to, to answer that question. And then that would determine the actual approach. How we compare to industry, uh, we're kind of the opposite. Um, we, if you take a look at the agency 
in terms of job description titles, which is not the most accurate way, but is certainly one of the easiest to hand ways of looking at uh, the experience that exists at the agency, you'll find that between the roles of or job titles of program analyst, folks who have engineer in their title and scientist, you'll come to a population of roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of just south of 30,000 folks. That's a huge population. That's arguably almost half of the folks working on site at NASA. Um, and those are clearly folks that, if they're not doing it now, at one point did some kind of data analytics or some very sophisticated uh, algorithm production uh, in their past. And this compares to industry where most organizations are rather thin in this area. But on the flip side, because of our mission-oriented and other history of the agency, we have thousands of very rich, large data sources that are not tied together, not well described outside of the mission, and are difficult to get at for folks who are outside of the mission. So we're, we're kind of in the, the converse position strategically than our, our commercial uh, brethren. And again, uh, to me, the problems we have are hard for the wrong reasons that these are solved problems in the commercial space. We should seek commercial solutions largely to solve these problems. And once we do, we will leapfrog past certainly many others in the federal space, and I would argue in the commercial space as well. When, when folks at NASA are able to get at the data and, and produce these training sets, I have no fear that we don't that we lack the expertise necessary to, to leverage these, these solutions. It's there. It's really getting at the data that's our, our core problem. Do you see progress being made here? I think many of our technical folks already get it, and they see value here when they can get at their data. I think bringing the understanding to our strategic leadership is sort of a next step. I think there are strategic leaders that already get it. Uh, one of the things that our office is doing is attempting to create a data strategy working group for the agency. Uh, we'll start small within the OCIO, but we hope to grow this so that we're engaging strategic and thought leaders across the mission and mission support space so that they can see in front of them many of the, the technical solutions and issues that the agency is facing, raise the awareness so that they themselves can help uh, lead initiatives and formulate policies which will be beneficial towards the uptake of uh, the necessary technologies uh, to support sharing of data where we can leverage these solutions. Really interesting. Brian, thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Okay, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Sure. Any closing thoughts? Well, I don't want to leave any doubt that machine learning is a viable, productive, innovative technology that the agency must take advantage of. There are many problems that we just simply have not been able to get to or we've solved approximately with traditional approaches because of lack of this tool. This is a very useful tool for the agency. It, it is not a, an experimental tool in the sense of we don't understand if this is ever going to bring value, you know, stand back at arm's length and, and let somebody else play around with this. This is absolutely something that can bring value to the agency today. If you can get access to the necessary data and processing power, it, it absolutely is a viable solution for many problems that we haven't been able to solve at the agency until now. Thanks again to Brian Thomas for sharing his insights on artificial intelligence and how it fits into the NASA landscape. For Brian's bio and pertinent links, as well as a transcript of today's episode, please visit apple.nasa.gov podcast. 
We'd like to hear your suggestions of guests and topics for upcoming shows. Let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple and use the hashtag SmallStepsGiantLeaps. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends and colleagues about it. Thanks for listening.